You are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Those Keys. Hello, my radio friends. Welcome to the program today. I'm glad you've joined me again. Today, I want to share with you about some misunderstood and misapplied passages in the New Testament regarding some statements made by none other than Jesus himself. We read about it in the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 and on. Jesus and his disciples had moved to Caesarea, Philippi, and they were probably by themselves without the usual crowds of people around them. Jesus asked his disciples who people said he was. They replied that the people thought he could be John the Baptist, or the prophet Elijah, or the prophet Jeremiah, or maybe some other prophet. And then Jesus asked them who they his own disciples, thought he was. Peter, often outspoken, answered. He was expressing his own opinion without consulting with the other disciples. He said in verse 16, and this is Matthew chapter 16 as well, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, And whatever you bind in heaven shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, there are some religious groups around today who have falsely claimed that no one can go to heaven unless it is through their particular organisation. In other words, they claim to have the keys of the kingdom. Now, one of these groups is the Roman Catholic Church, which has a pair of crossed keys as its insignia, and which also claims that Peter was the first pope, and that the church, their church, has the only way of salvation. Their claim is... That is that it's through the mediation of the church and its priesthood that one can be saved. But is this right? The answer is definitely no. The authority the church says it has comes from itself, not from Jesus. So what are 
the keys of the kingdom? Is it the authority to pick and choose who goes to heaven or not? Is it the authority to apply certain tests and conditions to determine who will be saved? Is it the authority the church places in the priesthood to forgive sins? Is it the authority the church gives itself to determine what people should believe? No, 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 and no. The keys of the kingdom of heaven are the words of Christ. That needs repeating. The keys of the kingdom of heaven are the words of Christ. All the words of Holy Scripture are his. These words have the power to open or shut heaven. The work of those who preach God's word is an aroma of life unto life or death unto death. So did Peter alone have the words of life, or to use another term, the keys of the kingdom of heaven? The answer is no, because Jesus had the same thing to say to all of the disciples as well as to the church. Matthew chapter 18 verse 18 confirms that. In this verse we see how Jesus was handing on the responsibility of presenting the gospel message of salvation to the rest of the world. It wasn't just given to Peter, but to all his disciples, past and present. Matthew 18.18 says, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In fact, the keys of the kingdom are conferred upon all of the Lord's people. Jesus' command to his disciples was, Go ye therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. Those who share the message of salvation through Jesus Christ have the keys of the kingdom. They have the words, the information, which when shared may open the minds and hearts of those who listen so that they too can become God's children. So, as I present to you what the Bible, the Word of God, has to say, and especially about the way of salvation, I have the keys of the kingdom. And if you share what you know with others, you too will have the keys of the kingdom. Forget that idea about just Peter or the claimed successes of Peter, the Catholic Church, or any other religious group, for that matter, that claims to have the keys of the kingdom to the exclusion of everyone else. It's not true. 
What is true is that anyone involved in preaching and teaching the word of God and of the way of salvation has the keys of the kingdom. So what does it mean to be bound or loosed? As the gospel message goes out to people and as they respond positively or negatively, they are bound or loosed. In reality, what people do with the message of the gospel determines what happens to them. If they go with their conscience and decide to follow Jesus, then they become one of God's children. Their sins are forgiven through the sacrifice and merits of Jesus. If they choose to go their own way and reject what was done for them, then they are not freed from their sins nor the consequences of their sins. We can understand this better when we consider the words of Jesus who in speaking to some believing Jews said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Being set free refers to being released from the clutches of Satan, the evil one. The person who believes in Jesus and in what he says is loosed from the bondage of sin. The person who rejects the words of life remains bound by Satan and sin. The disciples and all who believe that we are saved by the merits of Jesus are simply the agents or ambassadors of Christ. Their responsibility is to share the message of salvation, but they do not have the responsibility or, the, or authority of determining who or who will not be given eternal life. When you read Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus spoke to Peter, do you remember him elevating Peter above the other disciples? In other words, did he make Peter the head of the disciples? The answer is, no, he did not. If he did, then it would have been very strange that the disciples later argued about who would be the greatest. If Jesus had given Peter a higher rank than the other disciples, then there would have been no argument. The other disciples would have accepted Jesus' appointment. And this is where our Catholic friends have got it wrong about Peter in saying that he was the first pope and that he was the rock on which the church was built. If Peter was the base, the rock on which the church was built, it wasn't much of a rock because Peter later denied that he even knew Jesus. That denial is considered the same as bearing false witness or what we would call blatant lying. On another occasion, almost immediately after what we referred to earlier, Jesus spoke to his disciples about what would happen to him. 
He told them how he would be crucified by his own people, but would rise from the dead three days later. Peter wanted to shield Jesus from the trouble that lay before him, and said, Never, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But then Jesus spoke very sternly to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. At times, Peter acted like a loose cannon. He was not reliable and certainly did not have what was needed for the foundation of truth of the church. The, re- the rock Jesus referred to in Matthew chapter 16 verse 18 was himself. Peter later acknowledged that fact in one of his letters to the churches. And it's found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. And this is what he said. You have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by the majority of men, but chosen by God as precious. And you also as living stones are being built into a spiritual house. Peter never even once hinted anything about himself being the foundation of the church, and he never conferred upon himself the title of Pope. The Apostle Paul put it even more clearly where he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We're going to have a break now, and we'll go on straight afterwards. Where do I go from here? What fate is drawing near? Touch my heart and guide my lips in prayer Through the grace of God alone I'll cast aside these fears I've known And lift myself from the depths of deep despair Lead me through the darkness And through each gloomy day Take my hand, O precious Lord And help me on my way Give me strength that I might find Abiding faith and of mine, and I won't ask, where do I go from here? Please lead me through the darkness, and through each gloomy day 
Take my hand, oh precious Lord, and help me on my way. Give me strength that I might find abiding faith and peace of mind, and I won't ask where do I go from here. So was Peter the Rock? No, the Rock Jesus was talking about was himself, the Rock of Ages. Jesus, on another occasion, speaking to a group of Jews, had this to say, again referring to himself. A statement is found in Matthew 21, verses 42 to 44. He said, Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvellous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and will be given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken in pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. The Apostle Paul, writing about the church of true believers, reiterates that Jesus is the rock, the cornerstone. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20, this is what he wrote. Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Before going on, I'd like to share with you a little more about the text from Matthew, texts from Matthew 21 verses 42 to 44, where Jesus refers to himself as the cornerstone. Have you ever done or observed building with masonry or bricks? The first brick or stone is put in place on a corner, and then from that stone the builder makes all his measurements. That cornerstone is the most important stone because everything else in the building is relevant to that stone or that point. And spiritually, everything, including our beliefs, our understanding about how we can be saved, the forgiveness of sins, and so on, all hinges on the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Without him, Christianity would be irrelevant. The texts also say that if someone falls on that stone, they will be broken. How true that statement is. When a sinner comes to Christ, he or she will undergo changes. And some of the things that that person loved before in their former life will be broken up and disappear. But when sinners do not accept the sacrifice made by Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, they will have to suffer the wrath of God they will, metaphorically, be crushed. The Bible contains many figures of speech, including similes and metaphors. We read about Jesus being the gate to the sheepfold. We read about him being a door. We read about him standing at the door and knocking. Gates and doors are to allow entry and exit 
and they also prevent entry and exit. The only way anyone will ever get to have eternal life is through Jesus. In the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 4 and verse 12, besides naming Jesus as the capstone or cornerstone, we read, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Here in Australia, we do not have sheepfolds like they had in former times, especially like those in the Middle East. Those sheepfolds were yards, quite often circular in shape, and built out of posts and closely laid rails. Sometimes the sheepfolds were surrounded by prickly bushes. At night, particularly in the colder months, each evening the sheep would be led through the gateway into the fold. There they could huddle together for warmth and be safe from predatory animals such as wolves. There was only one way to get into the sheepfold, and that was through the gateway. And so it is with our entry into eternal life. You can't get it by, summing, by following some guru. You can't get it by living an exemplary life, however good that may be. You can't get it by giving large amounts of money to the poor. You can't get it by giving your life in service to the needy, although that's a good thing. You can't get it by belonging to any one particular religious organisation. You can't get it by being a hermit or purging yourself with self-torture. None of those things is sufficient. The one and only way to obtain eternal life is through Jesus Christ. You have to accept his forgiveness for your sins and follow his example. You have to accept that Jesus died and rose again for you. He didn't go through all that torture, pain and ultimately death for himself, did he? What he did was done for you, for me, for us. So what do we do to get eternal life? Well, we need to realise that eternal life is more than just an addition to a shopping list. It involves a turnaround in our present life. Then we must acknowledge that we have not lived the life we should have that the, and that we are sinners. And then we have to want to be pure, to be forgiven. And we have to confess to the Lord that we've done wrong. Then we need to accept that we are forgiven because God promises that. He says in 1 John 1 9, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then we need to enjoy the new freedom we have in Christ and live a joyful, 
righteous life. The keys of the kingdom, the words of Christ, can lead the very worst of sinners to becoming a child of God. The keys of the kingdom is the good news about salvation. My friends, if you've been hesitating in making the first step to committing your life to God, let me urge you to make that step sooner rather than later. And when you do, you'll be so glad you did. It's time for us to stop today. God bless you, my friends, and be listening next time, won't you? Until then, I wish you God's peace, his joy and hope.